inevitably, like two, three, maybe a little longer, one of the guys doing doing the color will actually say what she just said. So she's a good analyst as well. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm going to ask that this be a, a four a four uh, four persons interview today because uh, we, yeah, we, I, I don't know I don't know why we have Manly on the show. We're just talking to you to get to your wife, so yeah. you know she. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be negotiated today. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, it's it's. I got to I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something, Manly. The the um uh was it about two two years ago? Three no three no maybe three years ago. Uh, uh, Cavis came came to when, when did you when did you take Darian? Was that three years ago? Yeah, the whole place was four four years, four years ago. Four years ago. Four years ago. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so, I had to come to Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, I had to come to Saskatchewan right after, right after he scooped Darian Durant. The whole place was in an uproar, and everybody knew that I had him, that he was coming. He was coming to 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 be with us for a couple of days, right? So I said, "Well, I can't." So he, you know, he agreed to speak at a couple places for me, and then we were getting at my mom's place and and all this kind of stuff. So, so. He had just like two weeks before took Darian Durant. The place was in an uproar. And so so he comes in and he goes up on stage. He goes, yeah, I'm just here to scout for a few more players. The place, <laughs> the place is just like. <laughs> so so no, no, no word of a lie. No word of a lie. My, my mom, my mom's friend. <laughs> My mom's friend, and now we were, I think, was it that night? I think, okay, you're stalking that day, then we we're going to go to my mom's that place night. that yeah. night. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> so, so Cavis is about to go on stage. This is at, at uh, Queensbury. And they had like 700 people in the room, and then I was asked to introduce him. So he's about to go on stage, and my phone's ringing. And I look at the number on my phone, I'm like, hmm. And uh, I get this message from my office saying, uh, and, sh- and she names the person, my mom's friend, calling. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Like, yeah. like why is my mom's friend yeah. calling my office? Right. right? This has got to be something serious. So I'm thinking, you know, her husband wasn't well at the time. I thought something bad must have happened. They were, I mean, they were really good friends with my mom and dad. And when my, when my dad passed, they were really close. You know, they stuck with something. Sure. Like, oh, something happened so i uh <laughs> so i answered I, I i call her back right away and uh and and she's she's uh she's like no no everything's good and you know her husband's doing okay and that's great and so she goes um are you with cavis <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> i'm like uh yeah yeah and she goes well my uh my my son, my son is a kicker. Oh no! <laughs> grandson, yeah, her grandson, her grandson. grandson, yeah, her grandson. My grandson's a kicker, and uh, he's been he's been trying out for you know he he was I don't I don't know if he made the draft the one year. Anyways, he'd been trying out for a few teams, and I'm like, what? Because <laughs> I'm expecting stuff. So I'm like, well. Uh, can I call you right back? Like, I'm just about to, like, I was standing on the staircase going up. No the kidding. Just answer this, right? Cause it might be, I said, I'll call you right back. So I introduced Cavis right after he's done. He comes back down and, and we're, we're going to get back in my car to go. And I'm like, Cavis, I'm sorry, man. My, my mom's friend, he called, she's got, she's got her grandson. He wants, and like, would you just, would you just be willing just to talk to just talk to her? I mean, maybe, right? So, and, and she gave me this number to call back. Yeah. Oh man! So he was as good as said, "Yeah, no problem." So we get in the car, and I and I call from from the car, and and it's going through my Bluetooth, and and uh, so I call her back, and I chat. She goes, "Oh, just a minute. Her grandson's right there." Oh my lord! So he answers. He answers the phone, and it and it and <laughs> and so. So she she's selling this boy. It's like she is selling this boy hard. She's an agent. 
Yeah. Yes. She was solid. She was solid. <laughs> well, it turned out Kay had just, had just watched his tapes, yep. his videos. Yep. Like it was like the week before. No kidding. So it was just yeah. like, well, wait a minute. And he's like, you're about, you're about, you're about five ten, five no five ten and a half. He goes, no, no, five eleven. No, no, you're only five ten and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. I know who you are, right? You did you take him to Florida? Yes, I yeah, took him to okay. Florida. So yeah. In the car, in the car, he invites him to their to their training camp in Florida, just like this. Uh, I'm thinking, and so he's asking, well, have you got an agent, right? And so he <laughs> the agent. And uh, so anyways, we hand up the phone. I'm like, man, he has a horrible agent. When his grandmother. (laughs) No kidding, eh? (laughs) His grandmother's negotiating, getting a tryout. Yeah, you should have said to him, hey, man, get rid of your agent. Bring your grandma down with you. I was just like, (laughs) so we were trying to figure out how do we get a check to my mom and his mom, his grandmother. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's the best it's, part about it. It's, it's kind of the way the world goes around, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, one of, one of the things that, uh, you know, I think um, if you guys had a chance to look at my resume, it's kind of a kind of an odd sort of assortment of experiences. Uh, you know, I've got, a, I've got a Bachelor of Arts degree in English Literature from University of Saskatchewan. And my intention was really to be, I want to be a teacher. I thought that would, you know, I want to be an English teacher. And then a whole bunch of circumstances, you know, things always collide, right? So family business, opportunities there, working up in, you know, Waskasu Lake and McPhee Lake, you know, a bunch of developments there. And and I ended up, uh, you know, getting into the family business for about 10 years. And then, um, you know, sadly, most family businesses, they, you know, it, it just couldn't carry the weight of, you know, my dad was an interesting guy, 12 shareholders, brothers, sisters, brother-in-laws, recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, so it didn't, it didn't hang together. I was one of the last to kind of leave and left it with my brother, my younger brother and mom and dad. And I got into, into Prince Albert and a good friend of mine, a guy I went to high school with, uh, his family had a Toyota, a franchise and an RV dealership. And, um, we it's just odd odd how these things come together but in mid-august i wasn't i wasn't doing any work i didn't have any work at the time and um uh, frank dunn is the guy's name and frank phoned me there was a hailstorm went through the southern part of town and as they always do just decimated a, a mobile home court and he said i'm getting a ton of requests to reside and put new roofs on these mobile homes do you want to do it and I said, well, yeah, why not? So I got my nephew and I got together and we did 11 or 12 of these things. And then he said, well, why don't you, uh, when we finished up late November, he said, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you come work in the trailer shop? So I did that for about three or four weeks. And, uh, and he said, you know what? I think you should come and work in sales. And so, you know, it, it didn't take me long to figure out I could make a lot of money selling something that didn't belong to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and it was just this you know it was all about i'm making a point here in a long long way but it was all about relationship right it was all about the connection you make with people under and asking the right questions and making sure you're listening to all the answers and so this grandma is doing the right thing right she's got a relationship she she leveraged that with your mom <sighs> uh, my question is, did did the guy make the team no, uh, we actually brought him in uh, to Florida, and I got to be very careful because if the agent were to hear this presentation, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, so, so he and I have a, a very good relationship. And I called him up. I as Colin said, I saw the film. We brought him on to Florida. Yep. he was actually pretty pretty darn good. But what we realized is is that he had eligibility, and he ended up being territorial rights of the Rough Riders. Oh, so okay. we couldn't we couldn't offer them a contract. Wow. Um, and that was one of the loopholes that no one was familiar with until we went to register the contract and bring him to main camp. And they said, no, no, he has territorial protection. So yeah. we had wow. to back out. 
Yeah. But the, the moral of the story, though, was uh, that agent needed to cut a check to two, two old ladies. <laughs> yeah. And, and my right. mom is still waiting for her check. So, hey, I'd get the I'd get that guy's grandma on him. <laughs> I mean, I, I could look the, the, these ladies. These ladies were working a deal, and and they're good at it. They're good at it. So, um, you know, <laughs> Manly. Uh, hey, thank, thank Manly McLaughlin is joining us uh, today with uh, our session on Ball Leadership and uh, Ball Leadership, the show, and uh, really appreciate um, your time. And so, I was kind of hoping to introduce you, and and but but and kind of explain a little bit of the story that I know of you, uh-huh. but I, I mean, I would almost use the word colorful, but that's not really the right way I want to, it's not going to come out right if I say a colorful past, but you've had a pathway through Saskatchewan. Um, did you do some radio at one point? I, I, yeah. I, yeah. Did some radio. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and Manly, Manly worked uh, a fair bit in the association world. Um, ran uh, uh, construction associations in Saskatchewan for a number of years, moved out to British Columbia, um, where, where the weather's probably a little easier on the body or something, and, um, and uh, did, uh, was a CEO there for a number of years as well for their construction association and um, has been a consultant uh, uh, for the last few years. And I and, uh, really appreciate you joining us today. Um, I, uh, we had a chance to hear just to kind of warm up and chat with, uh, uh, with Cavus and give you an opportunity to meet, but, uh, you know, a, a couple of things, um, man, like you've got, you've got a number of years experience and you have worked with many different groups from, you know, across, um, uh, you know, literally different ethnicities, different cultures, different, um, uh, working with indigenous uh, groups to to help grow uh, uh, strength capacity in those communities with respect to participation, economic participation, and in, in the construction sector. And so, um, really admire that work. And then some conversations that we've that we've had just about leadership. I really felt it would be um, you know really wonderful to just kind of get some of your insights, thoughts, reflections, and. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so for the next, uh, few minutes or an hour, um, I thought we'd just kind of, uh, chat back and forth, uh, about that. And, and, uh, Kavis, you had some, some other thoughts you wanted to share right off the bat here too. Yeah, no, I, he segued perfectly into, you talk about relationships. I mean, you have a vast, vast experience in terms of dealing with people. And relationship and connectivity, you said, is probably preeminent in terms of your leadership style. What would you give today's leader as a, in terms of advice, in terms of what that investment is worth, in terms of building relationship with the people around them or in their care? Well, I mentioned you know, briefly that I, you know, I, I, I guess over time I spent probably 12 years in retail sales and sales management. And that, that, that was sort of the foundation of my, uh, of, um, you know, how I, how I approached uh, people and how I approached leadership. So, um, you know, if you're, as a leader, you feel you, your role is to, uh, you know, it's to go forward, to go out in front, to bring people along with you. Um, they're going to trust you. And if, if, uh, if you can't hear them or if you're not paying attention, I mean, how many times have we all, we've been in lineups with celebrities of one sort or another. And, and, you know, and either you're working down a line or they're work you know, or they're working down your line and you can tell the ones that want to stop and actually have a, you know, it's not just sort of, you know, a limp handshake and look off to the side. It's like eye contact and you know there's a bit of a connection. Some people do that really well and some people don't. And it's because, um, you know, people can read that in you, that you're genuine about what you want to do. And even if it's a three-minute conversation, you've got to, you've got to uh, have evidence that you're actually interested and, uh, and you hear what they say. And, and, and so... Um, you know, to build trust is one of the key, uh, the, the key factors. And, you know, I've, I've, I've said uh, over, 
time, I've learned a number of things about leadership, right? People aspire to be leaders, but not all of them aspire for the right reasons, right? If, if you think being the, you know, the mayor of uh, Regina or the mayor of your community, if you're there because you think it's going to be good for you, that's probably the wrong reason. Um, if you're, if you're there because you think you, you, have a, you have a group of ideas or an ability to bring people together so that they can improve the community, that's, that's the right reason for it. Um, you know, I, um, uh, I, I often talk about um, uh, some advice that I give my, I have two nephews who, who are just turned 60. They were born an hour apart, opposite ends of the country. And I, um, so my oldest sister, my second oldest sister's boys, they were the first boys in the, uh, the second boy in one family. Anyway, they, um, when they turned 30, so I'm eight years older than they are. When they turned 30, I thought, you know what? I'm going to write these guys a letter. I mean, they're pretty close. They're my nephews. They're good guys. And, um, and I said, you know what? I'm going to give you a little insight into what I think your next 10 years are going to be all about. And so, you know, I, I remember vividly saying to him, your 30s are all about building the foundation. Build the foundation of your families, the foundation of your work. And, and because everything you do over the next, the rest of your life is going to be built on what you learn, the relationships you build, and how you, how you engage people. It's all about the foundation. And then when they turned 40, um, I said, in my opinion, your 40s are, should be the most productive years of your life. Financially, you know, whatever business you're involved in, whatever efforts you undertake to, uh, to enhance your life, your family's life. The forties are your most productive years. And in your fifties, I said, that's all about leadership. And I said, you're probably going to have a little gray hair. I know I did at the time. Sorry, guys. I'm sure if you had gray hair, I'm sure if you had hair, you'd have gray hair. <laughs> and, and I said, you know what? That just means that you've, you've earned the right to offer opinion, to be engaged, to provide leadership. And I said, it's not about leadership in a, you know, in a public sense. It's leadership in everything you do, in your church, in the family, it's your place of work. And if you choose to do something in the public sector, that's, but that's, that's what your 50s are about. And you can be very effective at that. And so now that they're turning 60, you're probably wondering what I thought that what your 60s should be all about. And I landed, yes. I landed on legacy. It's your legacy. What you did from, you know, your 30s, 40s, and 50s all contribute to your legacy. And that's what people, you know, and you live your legacy. And, and the legacy will honor you and honor the people that you've worked with. And um, uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, they don't, they don't uh, not open my emails and they, uh, uh, they all express great interest in it. But I just think, you know, it's important. I can do that because they trust me and, 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 their, and their family. But um, you know, uh, leadership is, uh, it's a verb. It's not a noun. And I know that sounds kind of trite. You've probably heard it before. But if leadership is about action. And, and, and um, you know, you can't be erratic in your leadership approach. Um, if somebody, if you ask me, how would I characterize my leadership? What, what style? I, I would say I have a, a collegial approach to things. You know, um, it's, it's important that um, you, you can't be overbearing in your approach. You've got to recognize that, yeah, you're accountable for um, how the team operates, right? As the team leader, you're accountable. You got to figure out how to work with the team to get them to contribute and, and have them respect you as the leader, and um, um, leadership, I think, is, you know, it comes from within. But it, it's recognized by what you do out there. But really, it comes from within. And, and in that sense, you, you have great control over what happens out there. And I, and I think, the, you know, one of the final thoughts is that um, uh, 
if you're not building the next leader of the organization, you're just not doing your job. You're not a good leader if when you leave, you haven't got somebody that's there to take your place. When, when I left the BC Construction Association, I was, you know, many warm, you know, uh, lunches and meetings. And, and I think they were just happy to see me go. But, uh, uh, you know, I remember saying a, a group, uh, the, the Council of Construction Associations, they were getting nice enough to give me a, a little bit of an award. And, and I said, you know, if you think you're indisp- indispensable, and you guys probably heard this whole line, if you think you're, that you can't be replaced, just put your hand in a bucket of water and pull your hand out and see what kind of hole you left. And, and you got to have that first and foremost in your mind. But what you need to do is make sure that you've got somebody that's on your team that you've built a whole group of leaders that could easily be the water that flows in and, and fills that uh, potential leadership gap. So. Wow. Manly, I, I, <clears throat> I eventually want to get to uh, this topic of the, the, of the currency, uh, spending the currency of leadership. Mm-hmm. And because uh, it was something that I, I recognized in an article that you wrote and I, and it, it, it it really struck me, but before I get there, I mean, it was just something deep that you talked about and, you know, the reasons for leadership, like people aspire to leadership and, uh, you know, particularly early on, sometimes I don't know why, like for my case, I didn't know why I wanted to aspire to leadership. I just felt that that was, and kind of struggled with kind of figuring out, I mean, this thing, what I assume you're talking is, is about purpose yeah, and, um, and and so it 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 takes a while to figure that out, doesn't it? Because I mean, you get this aspiration, but you not necessarily know why. Yeah. Well, you know, I think um, to discover purpose, you've got to have a pretty good background, and you got to give honestly, got to give credit where credits due. It's the way we're brought up, right? I mean, you've told me stories about your mom. I. I've never met her, but I can only imagine, right? She sounds like a powerhouse, right? And, and, and I, I was blessed with awesome parents. My dad was a, was a very engaged individual, right? He was the first chairman of the Chamber of Commerce in Waska Sioux. He was a, pol- a politician. He, you know, he ran uh, in the Ross Thatcher area. He ran, he ran for, uh, in the provincial election. But he also was one of the guys that stepped up to, to, to make sure that there was a kinsman workshop in the city of PA, you know, one of my nephews was was a challenged individual, and Dad could see there was nothing for him, so he got behind a whole group of guys, got them all together, and they built this, got this kinsman. He had a he he evidenced leadership every day because he had a purpose. I learned from that. Mm-hmm. You know, I I um again I, I talk about this occasionally. One of the um, and you mentioned the you know the Aboriginal engagement uh, programming that we developed that all started in Regina. And, you know, the First Nations University of Canada uh, building, Douglas Cardinal Design, yep. owned in those days by uh, um, SF, FSIN, and um, the PCL guys built that. And um, um, Dave, um, it'll come to me in a minute, Dave, anyway, is a project manager. He came to my office. He says, i got a real challenge here. Dave, Dave Marriott. You're Dave talking Marriott. about Dave Marriott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No and, problem with it, that. Yeah. The only guy I know that could chair a meeting, get up, go out, smoke a cigarette and come back and still, and not even stop the meeting. Anyway, anyway, Dave, Dave came to my office and said, we had a bit of a challenge. They want us to maximize the, uh, you know, first nations or Aboriginal involvement in the construction of the building. And so we, we uh, collectively reached out to social services, uh, Blair, Blair Stonechild from, uh, uh, and those days was working at the college, got involved with us as well. And we came up with this concept of job coaches. And, and so it sort of, it all started to come together in, uh, uh, in that manner. And so, um, you know, the, the um, things didn't go all that well in the early days, right? We, we were stepping into territory that, that you know, that a lot of, of uh, guys were running, Aboriginal guys were running Aboriginal programming, felt we were kind of stepping on their territory. And, and, and so there was, you know, one guy in particular that was really difficult. And, uh, you know, so I, as much as I tried not to bring this stuff home, I'm having supper one night with my family, you know, with the family and, and the kids want to know what, you know, 
what happened today. And so I just mentioned this was this guy was out of line and I'm not sure why the hell I'm even doing this. And, and my daughter actually said, dad, if it's that difficult, why are you doing it? And my younger son said, because he learned that from grandpa. And it just, it's just like, you know, they talk about, you know, the spirit of chess. It was yeah. like, wow. Um, and, <laughs> the refocus and, came back pretty quick, eh? Yeah. So that's my point, right? We, we can look to our background because a lot of people don't have that kind of support and, and are, are, are taught those kinds of things going forward. So I've tried to instill that in my kids, and I'm sure you're doing the same thing with, with your kids, right? Um, so, yeah, purpose is, a, um, you know, it's a guideline. It's, it's, it's you know, it's the guardrails in, in, what, you're, uh, in what you're endeavoring to do. And, it, and it's the reminder of, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you don't have a strategic, if you don't have a job description, and I know a lot of guys have pushed back. I don't want a job description. Well, you know what? Job description actually is good for you because it enables you to say, hey, look, I'm doing this because it's in my job description. Or if it's a strategic plan and somebody on your board says, hey, I think we're going in the wrong direction here. I go, no, no, it's here it is. You know, you, you go in and you illustrate it's in the plan. That's why we're doing this. So, uh, you know, it's the same sort of thing. It can be that little bit of guidance for you in terms of, you know, am I heading in the right direction? And when you hit the turbulence, it also will help help uh, settle in and say, yeah, yeah, no, this is this is the right thing to be doing. You said that's that stabilizer in terms of uh, if you're flying a plane, stabilizer when you hit that little bit of turbulence, a little bit of an adjustment goes a different way. So, you know, I want to ask a question because your vast experience when you talk about purpose. Young people, young leaders tend to say, I'm trying to find my purpose. I'm trying to find my direction. I'm trying to navigate my way through this quagmire called life. How do you recommend people find their purpose? What are some of the ways that, besides your father and the genetics, how would you suggest people go about finding their purpose? Well, uh, that's that's a, a an awesome, challenging question, and um, you know I'm not one of these old guys that that sits back and says you know kids today they don't know what they're doing. I, I have great confidence in you know in the in the younger generations. I think there's there's you know just awesome resources there, um, and I think in order to find purpose, you got to be grounded in a few things. One of, one of the things that I think um, really helps find purpose is if you're um, if you're grounded in faith. Now I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a um, uh, I'm not a preacher, but I know that faith. I, you know, baptized in the Catholic Church. I, I, if anybody asked me what I'd say, I'm a dormant Catholic because don't often get you know the church as often as we want. But but it is a guidance for me. And I think that's a key piece, right? You've got to be able to ground yourself somewhere or have the, that same sort of reference point. And I think, again, it doesn't matter what, what faith you want to pursue, but having, having that kind of, of a relationship with, with, or having a relationship with faith is really, really important. And um, um, I also think that um, if you can find purpose there's a couple of key ingredients. And this is, this is one of the things I've, I've been troubled by and, and frankly can't find a platform to really launch this. And I, I, I honestly believe that there's a, um, there's a couple of things that are missing uh, with, with a lot of younger guys in particular. And, and that's the understanding of the concepts of nobility and grace. And, and so people are going, well, what's nobility? Well, it's how you act. And, and I had somebody say to me one day, <clears throat> give me an example. What's, what's a noble thing to do? I said, it's just, my, it's just holding the door for the old lady at the, at the you know, at the um, grocery store. Letting, get up, get off, off the bus or somebody, give somebody the seat. You know, it's, it's nobility is about how you conduct yourself. And you got to kind of understand that. And then the concept of grace, I think, is is, uh, is something that's missing uh, in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, sitting on the beach at Waskasu, a couple of actually out at, at Birch Bay, 
with a good friend of mine um, who unfortunately lost his son to cancer at a very early age. And they've developed a, you know, a bit of a foundation. And, and uh, I was talking to him about this because he's good. A lot of his son's friends are, you know, he's mentoring them in a real true leadership way. I just love that about him. And, and we were talking about this. And I said, I just don't know how to, where do you connect? How do you connect with these young guys? And then it, it you know, when my boys had their sons, then it, I, I clued in and I thought, you know what? That's the guys we got to talk to. Because they pass that on to their kids. While we're sitting there, this boatload of uh, wakeboarders pulls up. And there's like eight or ten guys crawl out of the boat to carry the beer up to the beach. And the music's going on. And I said, Dale, I don't think those guys are going to listen to us. They're not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so I, I, you know, you can learn, you can learn these things, but you got to have a little bit of direction. And, and honestly, I, you know, I think those, those are key, key components. And sometimes that nobility and grace will appear if you're truly studying your faith will, will appear in, in a variety of teachings. Does that make sense? <laughs> That you're 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 deep. Like, <laughs> well, that also that also means I'm way over my head. <laughs> as long as you keep your lips above the water, you you're, you're all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I I am uh, I know I'm absolutely I'm absolutely enjoying this, and and uh, uh, I know you can't see my notebook here, but I, I'm on a couple pages so far. <laughs> Same here. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, right, this down. So th- this is this is fantastic. Um. I, I just, you know, as long as we strike a deal on the royalties on the book, call it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, uh, uh, you, in the article that I read, uh, you wrote for, for Association Magazine, uh, you talked uh, a fair bit about innovation in the marketplace. And uh, so I'm just going to shift there for a minute because sure. I, I, the relevance is really critical here because you, you, you connected it to leadership skills about connecting, embracing the innovation challenge. And, and, you know, we're in a, we're in a really interesting time because, you know, while we've, we've had lots of innovations over the last several years, there's been an acceleration of certain ones that have had to happen in the last, last year because of the pandemic. And, and, um, uh, and for a lot of us, uh, we didn't, you know, a year ago, we never heard of this word Zoom. And all of a sudden, this is the standard way of doing business, like in an instant. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've, uh, we were talking with, uh, with uh, another, uh, another individual who said, listen, 10 years of change has happened in one. And so that forces us to have to look at things differently. But you, you, um, you, you've talked about innovation before, and I, I'm just kind of wondering. You, you, I mean, I know you also work with with a technology company and advising and and bring, providing guidance to to some young entrepreneurs in that space. And I wonder if you can maybe talk a little bit about that and how that how that connects to this leadership challenge you've been talking about. Yeah, sure. So probably one of the most pre-COVID. Let's talk. Let's talk pre-COVID here because yeah. you're right. You know. Um, the last 14 months or whatever just compressed so much, uh, compressed so much change into how we not only how we now do business, relate to each other, but the acceptance of that. And, and so, um, the um, um, the issue is around innovation. It was pro- it was one of the most overused words, right? And, and, and this is something I overuse, but, you know, innovation in a lot of places, it was everybody thought they knew the words to the song, but nobody knew the tune. And, and, and so it was just, it was one of those words, right? It was like, yeah, we need innovation. Nobody knew how to define it. And so um, I think in that article, if I remember right, I, I said, innovation is doing things differently, sig- significantly differently and not, and keeping your organization alive. <laughs> right. In other words, Institute change, um, create change, but make sure that the organization survives. The state of your purpose and, and however that's being uh, that's being determined. And so, yeah, change is um, uh, you know it, change management is probably one of the the most difficult um, endeavors. Um, 
you know, somebody I worked with very closely in Regina had a great line, you know, and she said, you got to go where people are. You don't, you can't start where you want them to be. And, and again, it's that, you know, we talked a little earlier about establish trust and, and listen. And um, so, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the last uh, things I, in fact, the last thing I did on my last day at work with, uh, with the Saskatchewan Construction Association where we had a we had a um, a team that we put together to recommend change in the organization structure, and uh, this is twenty years ago, and uh, twenty one years ago, and so um, we said um, if we were going to build a new uh, if we were going to start today to build a construction association, what would it look like? And we established four cornerstones: safety, advocacy. Uh, you know, governance, one other, which I can't remember at the moment. And we published it as Vision 2020. Well, guess what? There's just been major changes occur in the governance of the associations in the province uh, 21 years later. And and so, you know, we we undertook change. We inst- We introduced change. We got people involved in it. And it took 21 years to validate that that was actually a pretty good process. But, you know, I know over time, it certainly helped me. And I'm, I'm sure they, the guys that followed me at SCA have, have used that as well. Um, but um, you have to remember, one of, the, one of the things that holds people back from being an advocate of change is that, uh, it, it, and Colin, I think you've done an awesome job with this Construction Safety Association, where you did it right, where you started with your board of directors introduce them to doing things differently, your technology outreach, your utilization of technology to provide better services, the you know, utilization of data to validate your policy and your approach. Well, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen overnight. You got you to gotta build that in. And, but in that process, the other thing I learned is that the advocate of change is most at risk. And so if you, if you mess it up, you're, you're, you know, things could go badly for you. And that's what I think holds people back a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, if I can just interject, I mean, I, I had spent, um, as you know, I'd spent a, a few years working inside the bowels of government. I, and I'm, I'm going to just say the bowels because it's, that's kind of how sometimes I felt at times. When I was <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the word innovation I don't know how many times I heard that. It was, it was, I mean, the word was thrown around like a Frisbee yeah. and people all, they, everybody wanted an innovative approach to something, right? we got these problems, you know, and, you know, a deputy minister would fly in from Ottawa and say, Hey, we gotta be, we gotta be really innovative. And they'd be used in every speech I heard. And, yeah. and, but at the same time, you weren't allowed to make a mistake. Like, you know, Oh man help you if 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 you if an error occurs and suddenly there's this political risk and political repercussions to to a mistake and and so there wasn't a tolerance of it and, and innovation by its nature requires both trial and error exactly and there was just didn't really seem to be a lot of tolerance for the error side <laughs> everybody wanted the win Right off the bat, you know, first pitch, you know, popped it out of the park every time. And, you know, and if there was a failure, they quickly buried the person along with the failure. And uh, and then you were, you know, you were shoved away. And, and I found it rather discouraging when somebody had a good idea, but gosh, you know, we just, you know, we needed somebody to help us trust us to move it through a little bit. And so, I mean, I know you've seen that. I'm just wondering what you thought, you know, if you could speak to a little bit to that. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, quickly, one of the guys that worked with me 35 years, worked after he retired, after 35 years in the federal government, worked here in BC with me. And would, you know, he's a great storyteller and he'd tell him over and over again. But one of the best ones was he's, he was working on behalf of some, a client group here in BC and they were dealing with an agency in, in the federal government that was mandated to do innovation. And so he's on the phone. They put a proposal in. He's on a phone and he's going, well, how come you're not going to fund this? And the guy goes, well, we've never done that before. <laughs> innovation. So clearly his definition of innovation wasn't the same as, anyway. 
you know, this, this whole hesitancy, uh, what we're talking about, you know, the holding back because of, of, um, of um, concern you're going to get trampled or you're going to get buried. Again, to me, that's where we get to the currency of leadership, right? And uh, so I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we're getting to it now here because, um, you know, when, when you and I first talked about, um, you know, this, this, this concept of the currency of leadership, which I'm going to ask you to just open up on, but it was really about, uh, I think I sometimes shared some of the fears and challenges that people have and maybe been, whether it be racialized groups or individuals and in, in racialized communities or indigenous communities that, that are kind of trying to doing breakthroughs, but you know, it can be, they got to take some courageous steps as either individuals or as groups. And, and that's when you started talking about this. And so um, I really appreciate you, you sharing this part of this part. I was really looking forward to um, in this <laughs> yeah. conversation. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, if you, if you maybe talk a bit about what, like, what, what do you mean by the currency of leadership and, and what are the parts to it? Well, sure. So, you know, I'm, Part of these books, one of those shelves back there is uh, stuff I've read on leadership. And, you know, the, everybody's kind of got theories around how it operates. And you guys remember Ken Blanchard, the, the one minute manager, right? So he also wrote a book called Lead Like Jesus. Yeah. And, and what I, the thing I remember distinctly about that is, is that he said, we have a season of leadership. And I'm saying it's just kind of set a framework, right? You're, you know, it, it doesn't last long. Um, you're, you're during your season of leadership. A lot of people talk about the arc of your career, but I like the season. Um, that your most reliable consultant is the spirit of truth. So you've, you've got to have, you've got to stay in that framework. Um, you have to be. I think there's three elements, three, I call three currencies. I'm sure there's others out there. Um, presence is the first one. And, and, I, and I thought about this in terms of how you run your office, right? If you're, if you're a leader, whether you're in business or you're running a team uh, or you're running an organization, um, you've got to be there. You know, you can't do it part-time, you sure as hell can't tell your let your folks think that you're not fully engaged, and um, uh, you know you're being assessed. Um, we all get we I don't get them anymore, but annual assessments, right? And so if you think that assessment happens once a year, it's a daily assessment that's happening with your team, with your work, with your workforce, mm-hmm. and so. You know, if you're if you're down, if you're if you if you had a lousy sleep the night before, you you know you had a fight with your wife or your spouse in the, before you left in the morning, and you slammed your fingers in the door, and you got a speeding ticket on the way to the office, and you walk into the office with that attitude going, nobody's paying any attention to you. That's not presence, and so it, it's really you know you got to be there without fail. And that's really difficult to maintain because uh, it also means you can't operate with your door closed. You know, if, if, if you need, and I use this example occasionally of, you know, we've all run funded programs, right? The funders all, always want to know what's, you know, what's going on. You got an annual or you got, you got more than an, you got a, a monthly or a quarterly report and typically they don't get done till the night before. So you're trying to get that done and you got your door closed. Well, if you don't have a window in your office, what message are you delivering back to your team? Don't bother me. I'm, I'm not here right now. I'm busy. That's a challenge, right? Because I think I read somewhere a while ago that if you're, if you're focused on, you know, you're working on your computer and you're focused on something and somebody interrupts you, it takes you about 25 minutes to get back to where you were, right? So that eats up a ton of your day, but that's the, that's the cost, right? You got to do it. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, you've got you've got to have that presence. The energy is the second one, and I touched on that in just a minute ago. You've got to have your energy's got to be up. You're providing, you know, energy back to your team, and um, you know, energy equals enthusiasm. And this is the one thing I learned in my in my sales stuff. 
is that successful salespeople, they don't sell stuff. They transfer enthusiasm. And if, if you get, um, you get to a point where you're excited, and I don't care whether you're selling a used car or a new car or a point of view, if you don't have energy, if you don't have enthusiasm in what you're putting out there, then you're never going to be successful. And, and you know, I, I, I say that enthusiasm comes from the Latin words entheos, the spirit within. And it's that literally that transference of enthusiasm that's that's so critical, and so um, you know you have um, you've you've got to have that energy and, and and energy leads to success because people get behind you when you're there, and they get energized by what you're doing with them, and then the final piece, which is really the tough one, is courage, and you know if if we talked about the fear of being trampled in an innovative approach to something, right? That takes courage. And, and I've said, courage is what's you, what gets you into trouble and gets you out of trouble. And, and so, you know, courage requires mental and physical strength. You guys know this. Good Lord. In professional, professional sports, it's mental strength and physical strength. And oftentimes you can be as strong as, as, as required to get back out on the football field if the mental strength is not there, you're going out, but you're not performing a hundred percent. So, you know, in many ways, I say it's a primary currency of leadership because it's what enables you to, to, to uh, uh, complete what you've, uh, what you've done. And, you know, it's, um, um, I, I related this, uh, I was making a presentation in Vancouver a few years ago to a group called the Spirit Foundation. They were just, they just launched a foundation, Urban Aboriginal Foundation, supporting urban Aboriginal people off reserve. And, and uh, at the time we were running the Steel Trades Employment Program where we had job coaches. And in Saskatchewan, the very first guys we had as job coaches were all Aboriginal guys. And, and you know, we were doing interviews one year, uh, you know, sort of annual, let's sit down and have a chat kind of, kind of an approach. And I was taken away by how many times these guys were dealing with people who had committed suicide. And it was just this stark reality of, oh, my God, these guys actually, it's like one-on-one relationship with something that, you know, has in, in my existence, I've never had to deal with that. And here these guys are out, you know, trying to find work for these folks and then finding out the next day that, they've, that they're dead. And so I talked about the strength those guys had to have, the courage they had to have to literally stay involved. And what I saw was this compassion that was there. That, that emboldened their courage. They, they, were, they were beating themselves up. One more phone call. I should have made one more phone call to that guy. I'll never forget that. Wow. So, you know, they, um, they, you build courage, I think, through your own success. You build courage through your own experience. Your energy and your purpose leads, gives you better access to um, the courage you need to complete what, what, what you set out on. And, um, you know, I think um, uh, you've got to remind yourself of this, right? I mean, it's great to read a book and go, yeah, yeah. But, you know, we've all been to motivational seminars, right? And you walk out of the pump. We used to bring sales traders in. We'd have a great week of selling cars. And at the end of the week, everybody's back to what they're doing before, right? <laughs> Mediocre, whatever. And so you got to remind yourself. It's kind of like this, you know, you built a foundation. You've done the work. And then you've got to. You, you've got to continue to build through leadership on that foundation that you've, that you've, you've, you've set out. And, um, um, you know, the more you accomplish, the more recognition you get, the more positive reinforcement you get, that makes you less timid. It enables you to actually exhibit courage. And uh, I also think that, um, you know, courage is a very personal thing. It's, you, you know, you don't sort of wear it on your, you know, you don't wear it on your shoulder or your arm or whatever the saying is, right? It, it's, it takes constant presence, constant energy, but also conviction. And you know inside, if somebody's challenging you, um, 
courage will enable you to address that and, 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 and to get uh, to get to where you need to be, whatever the circumstances are. So I've, yeah. like, I'm sorry, like currency, whether it's money or gold, it's hard to come by. And it's even harder to keep. <laughs> so courage, I, I really like your observation on courage. I want to ask a question because oftentimes a mistake or a challenge may compromise or deplete someone's courage. You're afraid to go near that stove again because you touched it and it was hot and you got burnt. How do you respond to someone who has tried something, who's tried the innovation uh, path and they got stonewalled because of a challenge and now they're afraid of staying on that path. They, they lose courage to say, man, I made a mistake. It's more of an experience and an opportunity to get better and I'm going to continue on a path versus let me just go down the safe path and then we limit the growth of the group. How do you, what would some of the suggestions you would get someone experiencing that? Well, I think um, it, this goes back to almost to the start of our conversation where um, if you've got, if you're functioning in your leadership role, people call this mentorship, but if you're functioning in your leadership role um, and somebody's hit the wall on, a, on an idea or, uh, or something along those lines, um, I think you're compelled to sit down and talk to them and you provide comfort, you provide observation, um, you illustrate to them, you know, as, as you can tell a little bit, I, I love telling stories, right? And you, you got to have, find the right story to sit down with this person. I don't want to say make it up because I'm sure you'll find it somewhere in your experience, but let them know they're not alone. That, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I know what you're going through. This is what I did. This is what I ran into. And so it's, it's you, you leverage the trust that that individual has in you um, to give them good advice and you pick them up, you, you know, try and try and elevate them and encourage them. There's maybe, you could probably tell what they did wrong. Right. And it's how you, how you review that and introduce that back into the conversation. And, and it takes a little bit of skill to not just say, Hey, you know what? You shouldn't have done that. You should have done it this way. Uh, you know, it's, it's literally getting them to recognize what maybe they should have done. And you do that with some very specific kind of questions. So, you know, uh, Colin and Davis, you may have run into this if you're working for a board, but you know, one of the, one of the key rules I've learned over 23 years of working, you know, for literally 23 different boards over those times, this time, 23 or more chairman, chair people, you never take something to the board that you, you, don't know how they're going to react to. And it's, you know, it's called board readiness, right? You spend the time individually with the directors, find out where they may go, you know, what are they concerned about? And you address it so that when it's presented, you know exactly where it's going to go. We do the same thing with your staff or, or with the individual that, you know, in the, in the, in the context of what you were just asking about, you know, you, you build them back up by way of suggesting or questioning, did you know, how did so-and-so react when you, you know, when you approached them this way? And what was your response? And they'll quickly understand, nah, I probably screwed that up, right? And maybe should have taken a different path on it. So it's kind of, you know, I guess there's a, there's a, um, you know, I think this goes along with courage. You got to have the courage to know when you can be aggressive with somebody and when you need to back off and be the advisor and be the, you know, you got to have a soft touch when a soft touch is required. Not that they'll take advantage of you, but you got to, you know, and, you know, I've, I've, uh, I'm really noticing that now with my grandkids, you know, they're, they're the joy of my life. Uh, there's three so far, two boys and a girl. And, you know, just watching them from the, from the sort of distant perspective of a grandparent, right? Like we're not waking up with these kids other than they stay over, but, you know, we get a view of their parents because we brought them up and we just take such great joy in being able to deal with the little ones. And, and um, you know, we, um, we say grace before meals in our house. 
And, and um, you know, we've never criticized our guys for, but they don't necessarily do that. It's not an experience they have in their house. So when our kids come over, the grandkids come over, we say grace. Now, you know, they're four and two years old. The two-year-old quite doesn't get it, but the four-year-old, he used to want to just start eating. And we go, no, no, we have to say thanks for our food. That's what we're doing. And, it, you know, it's, it's a gentle way of introducing something into, uh, into hopefully into his understanding as he, uh, as he grows. So, yeah, hope that made sense. Wow. I've, I'm, uh, uh, Caves, I know about you, man, but I, I, I got, I got lots I got lots. I, I, and I got lots of questions. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm sorry, Kyle. I just want to fire up. Just, oh. just fire it. We got a couple more minutes, man. You, you okay, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead I mean, because you, know, you, you bring up a very good point of experience. I, I studied some CEOs, and in the past, our society has changed so much. Information is so readily available judgment is passed so quickly the jury is everyone versus just the board of directors ceos of the past had the runway to be able to make some mistakes correct it and move forward take some automotive innovators they didn't get it right for a second sometimes the third time take that very same position in an attempt of innovation a failure that ceo is out so are we as a society because of our the, the availability of information, are we hampering the innovative leader to be courageous and try new things because of fear of the judgment and the jury coming back with a you're out of here critics. The gauntlet yes. of critics that we talked about the other day. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, I, your observations are right. I believe that that um, it, everything's changed, right? How you're being judged um, is it has changed dramatically. How much latitude you had in, in completing whatever your organization's mandate was has all changed. And, and Frank, I actually think it's a good thing. You know, it's... Um, if you look at the guys that have gotten in trouble, it, there was this whole group of media, big media guys in the U.S. that were getting tossed off their programs because of their behavior towards women. I'm going, yeah, right. Like That was never right. <laughs> right. And even today, it's like, why would you think you could get away with stuff like that? So, you know, I think we're, 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 we're learning as we go along. I think today's leaders are learning. I think you know, and why are they all guys that were in that position to be able to do that kind of stuff? And and there was a whole, you know, 50, 50 plus percent of the population has been been kept out of that stuff, right? And and you know, one of the one of the gals we work with, um, uh, we're doing presentations on a product that we've developed, and part of the uh, information in the in the uh, profile that we created is is the demographics of the company, and she's built this thing up herself, and of course it's a you know, there's 12 people in the company and 11 of them are women. And she says, clearly, this is a really well-run company. And, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, I think that that's, that just illustrates the point that, you know, we, we got to be aware and accepting that the old way of doing stuff's not going to happen, not going to be there. If it does, you're, you're in imminent danger. Um, but I also think that, that um, today's leaders need to um, give some thought in, in large measure, some of the things we've been talking about, you know, preparation, um, interaction with your staff and your directors, whoever you're working for. There's a, you know, this thing works both ways, right? Um, and, and so um, you, you've got to determine what are the parameters that I can operate in. And then you've got to provide evidence that that's what you're doing. And so it's, yeah, it's a difficult time. I think uh, um we're still going to run into situations where somebody's going to get hammered because they tried something, uh, but you got to be ready to pick them up. Uh, if it's you that's getting hammered, you got to be ready to pick yourself up <laughs> and, and, and um, just have faith in the fact that, you know what, it was a good try. It didn't work. Uh, what did we do wrong? And let's, let's take another shot at it. I hope I answered your question, Kavis. You perfectly did. I'm just making a note on something. <laughs> 
you know, if I if I can just um, just for a moment go back to one or the, the, the key ingredients you talked about, um, just with understanding the nobility in grace, and you know, just an observation I've made of of great leaders that I've admired that uh, it wasn't their it wasn't their their strength their power that I think in mind it wasn't it wasn't necessarily um, you know how quickly they could make something happen or how good a speaker they were or anything like that it, it had much more to do with literally how graceful they were how they and um, and that made people and at least made me want to follow them <laughs> yeah. right I mean if you're gonna lead someone's gotta someone's gotta follow along and you know, I think in a future cast, we'll, we'll, uh, we might chat about, about followership as a formal leadership. And, and, um, uh, and I think that'll be an interesting, talk. but, but that element of grace, um, you know, what do we need to do as individuals? What does Colin need to do? What does Cavus need to do? And, and, and others who will listen to this, who are, you know, developing as leaders, um, what are some of the things that you think that we could actively do or be actively aware of so we can become more graceful that way? Like, are there things that we should actually step out and, and start acting? If we haven't done it before, if it wasn't something that we were brought up with or. Yeah. Well, you know, I think um, uh, developing grace or an appreciation of grace Um it's not something you're going to read a book and, and, and attend a seminar and, you know, or learn how to do it that way. Um, acting in a graceful manner is self-fulfilling. It's it, it, um, if you're paying attention to what you're doing, the feedback you get from that is empowering. And, and, you know, so some simple things, um, you know, treat your staff, it's, this, is, this is really old, but treat them the way you want to be treated. And um, the um, um, purpose of the organization needs to reflect, actually is reflected. Your organization is reflected in how you treat people within the organization. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so, um, you know, just attempt doing things a little bit differently. Um, but they're really important things. Make sure that, you know, we had this big discussion the other day as I'm now retired and I'm looking at some of the, you know, I was reading the other day where the head of GM just got paid. I think her base salary was 12 million bucks and she got another 20 million in shares. And and I'm thinking, what? geez, that's a lot of money. Like, how do you? And, I'm clearly underpaid. <laughs> well, but my, my point was because they always say it's like 3,030 times more money than the lowest right. paid right so my point is going to be you know share the wealth right pay your people a reasonable amount of money uh if if i'm taking home a bonus that's equal to or more than what the you know mid-level folks in the organization are making that's not that's not good and so take what, you know, build yourself a lifestyle that, that you can support without taking advantage of other people and then work that into your organization. And people will recognize that as being a graceful approach to things. And, and again, the, you know, the concept of nobility, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, the, the, the Wall Street guys in 2008, right? It wasn't a single noble action. Actually, even worse than that, if most recently, if you look in the U.S. again, where the tax, you know, they got a Trump and enabled a big tax reduction. And as a means of what? Stimulating the economy or making, no, those guys just bought shares back and put them, you know, there's nothing noble about that. In fact, there's little, in, I won't get into it, but you need to, you need to learn to be noble, Right. And, and nobility is not, uh, you know, the fact that you're the noble and there's peasants on the sidewalk. It's like treat people with nobility. 
that's really the way to the best way to uh, to evidence treat them as if they're noble people so i think that this has been uh, this has been extremely educational we've been doing this before and we're going to give you the opportunity one characteristic of a leader we're trying to build prototypical we call and i we just discern and we know that there's only one perfect leader so we're trying to build a prototypical leader what would be one characteristic that you would add to our attempt to build a prototypical leader that's a great question um and you might be surprised at my answer i think you, you have to um, capture and understand laughter. Laughter is an expression of joy. And if you can't laugh at yourself, um, if you can't make people laugh, they're never going to follow you. Colin. I think uh, we're great leaders. <laughs> we laugh a lot. I didn't say laugh at you. I said laugh with you. No, we just laugh at each. We just laugh at each other. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we, we've oh. got the wisest guy already told us that we're great leaders. We're, we're good. Yeah, yeah, we're done now. We're done now. There you go, um, Manly. You know, I, I really appreciate this. I, I just to just so you know, like Cave um, said, we you know. We're really dedicating this to discussions of, of leadership, and a lot of that is going to be through storytelling. Yeah. But you know, exploring through really entertaining conversations about the challenges, the the learnings, the ups and downs of, uh, and the fundamentals of leadership, and and um, you know, our intent is really to talk with a cross section of people right across the country um, that are in business. They might be in politics, community, athletics, and and uh, you know, with really kind of the 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 goal to kind of inspire and curate, you know, that support people in their developmental leadership and the next generation leadership. So, um, so you share today, um, you know, as, as uh, you made it fun and, uh, there's a lot of deep stuff in here. And, and so, uh, I really appreciate it. And, and, uh, you know, thank you so much. And, and, uh, Kavis, I'll leave you the last word. Because it looks like you got you got look like you got something to say. <laughs> I, I really want him to come back. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'm going to get your mom's neighbor to uh, negotiate the next. Uh, yeah, for your next show. Manly, if if uh, if you're if somebody wanted to, uh, if people wanted to, to reach out to you or anything like that, you you good with that? What well, oh, yeah, would sure. be the best way to do that? Um, uh, you know what? My email address is pretty simple. It's just manly at manlymclaughlin.com. Manly at man, at manlymclaughlin.com. And, uh, and, and we'll, we'll put that in the intro, uh, the written intro on our, on sure. our site as we get this up. So again, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you. And I see it's still sunny and uh, wonderful BC. So uh, yeah, we're, uh, uh, we had a little rain this morning. Surprise, surprise, but it's, <laughs> I think 17 degrees here. So uh, we're, uh, we're into the into the summer weather. Oh, and as soon it. as we get past COVID, Dan and I will be back in Saskatchewan. We're we're planning something. Hopefully, late August to get back, and uh, and we're we're missing our family and our friends out there. So uh, we're looking forward to get back as soon as we can, and maybe watch some football. No, it'd be great to have you. Great yeah. To have you. Well, we'll be in touch, as you know. All right. Thank you. Great to this meet you. This has been outstanding. Thank you. Pleasure. Look forward to seeing you again. Indeed. Thank you very much. Excellent.